Welcome to City Hill. We're all about lighting up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ. Boom, mic drop. Um, that's what we're about. Check us out. Um, if you want to connect with us online, you can go to cityhill.london or fill out a connect form here at City Hill and kind of stay in the loop about everything that's happening. So today we are continuing our series Persevere and we are going to be reading from Exodus 4 and verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went, met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of which the Lord had said to him. um, And he showed him the signs that he commanded him to do. When Moses and Aaron um, went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. They bowed their heads and they worshipped. In my experience of like church and Christianity as a whole, when it comes to like the nitty gritty of the here and now, the application, um, this is where most people get fully gassed. Um, it's, it's at the bit where God is speaking about something he wants to do in a nation, in a people, in a community, in a church, in a group, in an individual, where they have this moment where they hear from God, this is the great thing I'm gonna do, and then that person shares it with other people and they all get fully gassed and they all kind of have this moment of, of worshipping the Lord. And one of the things that I've, I've learned personally, when we talk about worship in this capacity, which isn't like kind of aligning your entire lifestyle and existence around God like he's some huge magnet, but just this kind of moment of just having a moment of just trying to connect with him through like praise, through song, through, through the things that we say in that moment. Um, I think the, the old saying, talk is cheap. Um, and actually people hearing the vision and worshiping like that is so cheap. It's so cheap, it's in fact called free. Um, it's really easy at the start of something like that to have this moment where like, we just like, we're down with God, we kind of worship him, we get kind of fully gassed and we kind of fully wanna, wanna go through and fully wanna go there. And that's exactly what's happened for this people group. And actually, if you haven't experienced this yet, you're gonna kind of experience it at some stage, at some moment where you feel God calls you to do something, you get super hyped up, super excited about it, ready to go. And then when you share it, like everyone gets really, really gassed. But this is obviously before God set the people free. Like nothing has happened at this moment. And so everyone's on a hype. But normally when God calls you to do something, um, you can have the fully gassed up meeting that's totally natural and that's totally normal. But there's normally some stuff that comes a little bit later. And we're going to kind of find that straight away. The next verse is in chapter 5 of Exodus. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, so they've had their private conversation. Now they come into the decision maker. Now they come into the guy who, who rolls deep, who's about that life. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, 
the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And then Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather the straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labour at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came over and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now go and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge you, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. You have not delivered your people at all. think when people talk about their calling and what they want to do in life or what they believe God is is calling and, and, and as their destiny as their like their their life's work the thing that outside of people in their life matters the most so you remove people relationships friendships out of the way and just what you do the thing that you do that matters most I think often when people have that thing people always get 
crazy, crazy, crazy excited about the idea or the notion of the thing that lies ahead. They get obsessive about it and they already party before they've ever achieved it. Like they have those moments, like if, if like, I'm sure Leke's done this, like Leke loves, loves singing. That's one of, one of his great passions, one of his great gifts. I'm sure he has sung in front of the mirror, but in his head, he is in like Wembley Stadium. Like, not any others, he's, he's like there and there are tens, 20,000 people. And he is fully gassed in that moment, in that room. We've, we've all been there, we've all been there. I've, I've, yeah, we've all had those moments. And even when it's like, or it's that meeting at work that's in our mind that we think this is it, this is that job interview, this is that meeting, this is that key life-changing moment. And we've run through that meeting in our head and we've dropped bombs in that meeting and we've said all the things that need to be said and we end up fully gassed and we are like worshiping God because we're like, that's totally how it's going to be tomorrow. That's exactly how things are going to go down. I visualized it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You know what I mean? It's like that. And we, we, we see it like that. And then we go into the meeting and none of it happens that way. And I mean, none of it happens that way. Like it couldn't go any worse. And when people talk about the Bible and they talk about God settled it, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Fantastic tweet, brilliant picture on Instagram. But like no one, no one really flows with that. That's not how life really works. And I think one of the biggest problems in churches we don't preach Exodus 5 anywhere near enough. We don't tell people like, oh yeah, God's going to do that in your life. He's totally going to do that. By the way, some, somewhere along the line, he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart to make things tougher for you. By the way, when you step out to do that gig, oh my days, things are going to go wrong. I've been at a, a con, uh, like a gospel concert once where there were guys rapping and stuff and like the feedback was so bad, the delay was so bad. I was speaking and I was hearing myself come through five seconds later. So every time I said something, it was said back at me five seconds later and it threw my game off. And then I was thinking, geez, guys are getting up and rapping <laughs> with this happening. Like they must be up there like having a seizure or something. Like people are thinking they're really on flow and they're not, they're just like, oh my gosh, this is killing me. You know what I mean? It was, it was crazy. And there are these things that you step out to do and you're like, this is how it's gonna be. This is how it's going down. This is how that's gonna be. It's gonna be awesome. The world is going to be like set on fire with this greatness or like say you're a professional fighter and you're like that's it I'm gonna destroy this guy he hits you the first punch and you're gone in 13 seconds you know what I mean or or your Liverpool Football Club and you're playing AC Milan in the Champions League final in 2005 at half time John Onorisa not only did he not want to come out the second half he was suicidal three nil down in the biggest game of his career he didn't want to live anymore let alone wear the shirt. Jimmy Traore was told he was substituted off because he was up fault for all three goals. Someone else was injured. He was told, put your shirt back on, you're playing that half. After he's been absolutely battered like that. That's how life tends to be. And sometimes we have this idea with God that when he's spoken a word into your life, that, that somehow it's gonna be this plain sailing through it. It's gonna be absolutely fine. But actually that's not what's gonna happen at all. Because Moses is one of the greatest men in the Bible. One of the best people there is. Like, if you look at it from the Jewish perspective, there's him and David running things, and that's it. No one else is on their level. Like, literally, no one in the Old Testament is on Moses 
or David's level when you talk about the Jewish people and how they look back over the scriptures. And this guy's words are on day one of the job. Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. So Moses, who was holding a stick last week, which was a joke ting, as we discovered, was holding a stick, which is what a shepherd would have, and he's not even a shepherd, there's no sheep anymore, he's left them behind, and he's walking along, he's got this, he's put this down, it's turned into a snake, he's picked up by the tail, all that stuff has gone down, amazing, amazing, crazy miracles, I, I don't think anyone here in this room has had that kind of happen, no? No, none of us have had that. So we're talking fully certified slash gassed. And then after day one in the job, after seeing a burning bush, an angel speaking to him, that kind of an encounter, and he's already day one, it'd been better I never came. Why did you ever send me? That's day one. Dear one in the big brother house. And Moses wants to go out the fire skit. That's what you've got. That's literally what you've got in Exodus 5. Moses, this is God. Please report to diary. That's, that's what you're reading here. And that's what chapters, by the way, that's what chapter six is. Chapter six, God has got Moses in the diary room and he's like, I told you I was gonna harden his heart. I got this. We're still gonna do this thing. Like, geez. The diary room happens. And today what we're gonna do is we're not gonna read through the whole, um, the whole narrative because there's so much and like we're just gonna get through it this kind of week and then next week I've got something quite special in my head. Somewhere. But he stepped out. It's all gone horribly wrong. He wants to step back in. He wishes he'd never gone. God's called him into the diary room, giving him the pep talk. And then he's before Pharaoh again. I'm just going to let you know how this kind of plays out. So people hearing the vision and worshipping like that is so cheap. It's free. Often we overlook miracles that are going to be needed to get there. The pain and the tears. Sometimes we, we overlook the bricks we're going to have to make without the straw. When God calls you to do something... Sometimes you're going to have to achieve it without any of the stuff you need. And by any of the stuff, I mean any of the stuff you need, like anything. And sometimes for you to achieve what God's called you to achieve, he's actually going to call you and um, make things more difficult. And sometimes God is even going to work against you. And, and you're going to get pretty ticked off about it. And I just wanted to let you know that one for free to encourage you this Sunday. My encouragement is God's going to call you to do something and it's going to go hella wrong. And hella things are going to happen and it's not going to be any of the things you thought it was going to be. So when things start going right, so now we're going to move on to the track of when things actually start going right. Water turns to blood. The Nile turns to blood. Does Pharaoh let them go? No. It's a miracle right there. He doesn't let them go. Then there's frogs everywhere. Does Pharaoh let them go? No. Then there's gnats, mosquitoes everywhere, just biting and biting and biting people. Does he let them go? No. Then there's flies everywhere. 
He doesn't let them go. Then the stock market crashes. The livestock are slaughtered. The bankers are screwed because all their money is really in cattle. Cattle is, is, is big business and it's gone, it's smashed. The, the stock markets are crashed. So the, the financial world is in ruin. Does he let the people go? No. There are boils on everyone's bodies. Does he let them go? No. Hail starts falling from the sky, like huge pieces of hail. He doesn't let them go. Locusts come and eat up all their crops. At that point, does he tap out? No. Darkness just covers the whole nation. Doesn't tap out. Moses comes for the last and the final thing, which actually ties to the first thing God tells him in the first conversation where he tells him what he's going to tell Pharaoh. Moses reiterates again and again, Israel is my firstborn son. If you don't let my firstborn son go, I'm going to kill your firstborn son. And their belief system all hails around um, Pharaoh being Ra and his firstborn son being the continu living continuation of their God living among the people. And so God deads their God. So like when the firstborn dies in all the households and Pharaoh's own son dies, he is like deaded in front of the whole nation. Like he is shown to be powerless. And in that moment, broken, grieving, and left naked, Emperor's New Clothes style, he lets them go. And they're delivered from Egypt. Result, finished. No, it's not. Then chariots start chasing them, which by the way, is like state-of-the-art technology. It's like us being a rebel uprising that flukily somehow wins, and then the tanks roll out. And we've got knives and forks from Metro Restaurant. <laughs> and we're like, do you, do you want to bang? Are you about it? No, we're not about it anymore. You know what I mean? It's a tank. A knife and fork. You can't stop a tank with a knife and fork. Like, it's just, it's just stupid. It's like, it's like, it's like the road men at a carnival when the horses come. They're like, not about it anymore. When the police officers are there, they act big, but then the horse comes and they're like, nah, man, like, I'm, I'm, they duck out. I've seen it. They're all ready to bang. And then those huge shy horses come that you can't reason with. And no one wants a piece of it anymore. No one wants to act up. They're like, yeah, cool. It's done, it's done. State-of-the-art technology is chasing them. And then God brings this whole pillar of fire. Pillar of fire. <laughs> protecting them at the rear. Um, that sounded weird. Um, and then there comes this moment where they're, they're there and the, the Red Sea is in front of them and they're trapped. So now not only is there state-of-the-art technology flying up behind them, um, God's holding them at bay, but they're trapped. There's literally nowhere to go. And um, God tells Moses in no uncertain terms, like, what's in your hand? Like, what's in your hand? Put your staff out. And then the waters part. The children of Israel walk across the waters. We talked about this in week one, that there's stories the rabbis tell of how they walk through, along through the waters, moaning about what's between their toes, the dirt and resistance kind of things while God is holding back the walls around them. So there's this miracle happening here. We sing that song like every Sunday and it's got that, that lyric, um, you part the sea so that I could walk right through it. And I, kind of, I love it. And I, I, I don't know what it is about, about this story that actually I see it totally different. I see it totally different. Um, obviously he does part the sea for them to walk right through it. But the next thing that kind of happens is 
He provides for them, and they're actually starting a journey towards Mount Sinai. So in, ver- in chapter 14, they're crossing the Red Sea where, as God holds back the waves. Um, in 15, they sing a song. That's pretty cool. God supplies them with food. God supplies them with water. Um, and then he basically meets them at Mount Sinai. So the mountain where the burning bush whole thing happens and God says, you're going to meet me back here. The people are going to be here and we're going to connect. And he gives them the law of God, um, his instruction for them, filling the void, all that kind of stuff. Like when we sing that song, he part the sea so I could walk right through it. Like, oh man, I change the lyrics every single time. I never sing those words. I never have. Like from the first time I heard that song, I fell in love with it because I thought they sang something else. And it was just like, it just came out of my heart and I always sing it this way. So the way I always sing it is, he part the sea so I could walk right to him. Or I say, walk right to you. So I sing it straight at God and I always sing, he part the sea so I could walk straight to you, right to you. Because what happens here is it's like a it's a it's a it's a marriage. What happens at Mount Sinai is God says his laws, his statutes, that he will be their God, that they will be his people. He says that he will, they say that they will. It's like this marriage covenant that takes place on Mount Sinai. So like when they go through the waters, it's like walking down the aisle. Um, it's like walking straight down the aisle. They're leaving slavery, their oppressive past, their abuser behind and they're entering into this new relationship, this new wholesome relationship that is so good for them. So whenever I sing that song, I always sing, you split the sea so I could walk straight to you, right to you. And that's exactly what God does there. He provides them water from a rock. He does all these kind of things. You see, when God calls you, even when he tells you what the outcome will be, even when he's told you the outcome, you have to persevere. There is not anything of worth you can achieve where you don't have to persevere. There is nothing in this world worth achieving where you don't persevere. Now, if we look back across this story and we don't treat the Exodus story as a story we've heard in church all the time and just believe and accept, we have to embrace the craziness of what happens here. That we're talking 10 miracles before they get set free. Then we're talking 11, 12, 13, 14 to get them out and the provision needed to keep them and sustain them alive. And then we're talking even more miracles when they pursue into the land that is promised for them. Why do I say all of that? Why do I share that? And why do we even think about those sorts of things? Well, we think about those sorts of things because finally, as I, as I wrap this up, I want us to think about ourselves what God calls us to do, but also our journey as a church. Because I've got to be honest, I had this idea in my head that when God calls you, he does a miracle and everything's kind of done and everything's kind of sorted. And actually, I know now, and I should have known because it's in text, it's in writing. He printed it out. Like, it's there. He's given us this spoken word. Like, it was chiseled, passed on. Then the printing press made this whole revolution. It's online, you can Google it, the Exodus story. You can read the whole thing. It's in the bestseller of all time. Like, it's everywhere. And yet, we always have this weird idea in our heads that if God's spoken something, if God's called us to something, it just kind of, like, I've heard people say things like, oh man, you know, like, I was doing this thing, but like, oh, you know, it just, it just wasn't, wasn't easy. I was like, oh, well, if God's in it, man, it shouldn't be that tough. Wow. And I'm like, 
Lay off the crack. <laughs> Stop taking heroin. Like, like what, what, is, what is wrong with you? Like, what part of the Old Testament did you think was easy? What part of the New Testament do you think was easy? Crucified upside down. Oh, total dos. At that moment, I just imagine Peter was crucified upside down. Like, oh man, I thought it'd be easier than this, man. With God on my side. What am I, guys, take me down. I'm totally done with this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, they, all, of the, all of the apostles, like, which one lives happily ever after? Like, geez, like, what have you been reading? And we have this idea and we've twisted it. And that, that's not how it is. And like, I can talk from my own account with City Hill. Like, I was, I was 14, 15, God did something in my life. I, I threw a load of things away. God, I'm going to live for you. What do you want me to do in my life? He said, I want you to plant a church. I heard that at 17 after praying the same prayer from 15 all the way to 17, fully gassed, fully certified, so excited I was going to plant a church. Then all these years passed and he never said I could go. And then I'm working at a church and all these crazy things happen. And this weird woman writes, comes up to me, starts prophesying in a church service. And I was, I was at the point where I'd screwed up in a bad relationship with my ex, where we slept together. I wanted to marry her. She left me, cheated with someone else. And then I was like, ah, that's it, I'm done. And I was suicidal. Everything was a mess. I met Jody. We became friends. Um, I was really crazily messed up. And then got my stuff a little bit together, still hurting, still really, really, really in so much pain and just so much confusion. And then I'm this youth pastor at a church and I'm like, you know what? I believe that God will tolerate me. I don't believe he'll ever do what he said he would do in the first place. Um, like part of the church is one thing. There's other things he said beyond that, that I just thought, you know what? Those things, he's never gonna do that anymore. He's just gonna tolerate me. I'm pretty chuffed being this youth pastor. Let me just roll. Let me just see it out. You know what I mean? And this woman comes up to me and she's saying all this stuff and I'm listening to her. I'm like, what are you chatting about? Like that made no sense. She walks off. She comes back to me and says, you know what? Um, I got that wrong. God says the plan's still the plan. And I was like, oh snap. So I never told Jody I was called to plant church. Um, we were married at this point. And I never told her because I was like, he just tolerates me. He's never going to do that for me. He's, he's not going to want to do it. And this woman says that and then she's written all this stuff down on a piece of paper and she hands it to me. And I remember reading it thinking like, well, that's completely meaningless. And um, it got lost. And then I'm going through this stuff at the church and I'm kind of having to leave. Some of it's my choice, some of it's not my choice. And it was really painful, really hard. I had no one to talk to, really isolated. Um, it was just the worst time ever. I had no one I could really, I had two people I could chat to really, maybe four. Um, and it was just so hard. And then I'm in this mess and it's all falling apart around me. And God just starts saying, Matthew 5.14, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Shine your light before men, they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. You don't put a light and put it under a basket, you put it on a lampstand, you position it strategically that all in the room can see. And he goes, I want you to do that with the church, I want you to call it City Hill. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. And so I'm saying this to, the, to a, a pastor, all this stuff's happening. Like, I feel like God's saying this, like, I don't know when this is gonna be, two, three, five years down the line, I don't know when, but this is gonna happen. And I remember him saying to me like, no, that's not for now. That's not for now. And then I was like, oh, you know what? I just, I just feel inside it's for now. And there's always different people who are just telling me, God says it's not for now. And I'm like, but I just feel it's for now. I can just feel it. I, I can't shift it. Like, he's got my phone number. He can bail me. And like, I feel it's now. And he's going, it's not for now. It's not for now. Trust me, Andrew, it's not for now. You need to focus on this. I'm like, I can't focus on this. I need to be moving towards this. And then... I'm like, Jody, we need to do this. And so then I'm having to leave this job as a youth pastor, and that means we've got this really amazing home. It's beautiful. Like, we had this 
terrace above someone's bedroom, which was about as large as this space here. And you had this beautiful green garden and we would sit out there in the morning, have breakfast together. Oh, it was stunning. It was absolutely beautiful. It was just absolutely amazing, out of this world. And um, it meant that I had to go. I had to quit my job and move with my wife to my parents' house. You have that conversation with your wife who didn't know you were called to plant a church. Yeah, let me know how that one pans out. And let me tell you something. You're both sitting there feeling like, I wish I'd never come. You're both feeling like it because she never saw that coming. I should have told her that because everyone should tell someone that. But I felt God would just tolerate me, never want to use me in that way. So I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm done with that. And then I'm going, actually, I'm, I'm really about this. She's blindsided. In the end, she's in 110%. And people are gunning me, telling me that God says it's not now. And she's just backing it. And she's just backing it. And she's going, doesn't matter. We, we move out. We move to your parents' house. We do this. She's backing it all the way. And then we, we, we do that and we move home. And that is just, that is just so painful. I can't even tell you how painful it is. It's emasculating. It was just really hard for me. And it's my own, but I'm calling the shots. And she moved back there. And then God tells you to start the church, just you and your wife, which by the way, is the worst idea in history. It's like carrying a staff to go see Pharaoh. It's <laughs> stupid. It's just such a bad idea. And then I wrote to two, two churches thinking I knew what I was doing. Let's ask them for a bit of money. I know, we can make it work on a thousand pounds each, 2000 pounds. For the record, again, that is the worst idea. No one I know has done that. I mean, no one. There are churches I know that had a $500,000 budget that aren't here today. $500,000 started in London, and they, they don't exist anymore. And we started, me and my wife, with 2,000 pounds meeting on Clapham Common. Like, you, 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 you can't make this stuff up. It's just stupid. It is beyond stupid. With no one saying, Yes, we will come with you and do this. And, when, and then God says, don't take an offering. Another brilliant idea. Fantastic idea. Don't take an offering on a Sunday. This is my house. And when people come to your house, you don't put that out. Someone comes in for the first time around your house. Oh, by the way, the chicken cost X amount. Um, the peas cost this. Oh, and the Chateau Neuf de Pup. Oh, don't let me. You know, who does that when you come? It's his house. He says, no. Giving's in secret, giving's online, whatever. It's out of the way, it's not on a Sunday. You're not putting pressure, whipping this basket around. Like, oh God. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, we'll do this. And then I'm telling pastors, this is what we're doing. And they're looking at me and they're going, that's not how you survive. That's not what you do. That's not how this should be. And then I look at back over the last couple of years and I can say, just like this story, I've just seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Marvin, who isn't here today, is a miracle. We were, because so, at one point it was just me and Jody giving, and, and that was it, and we were paying the rent, and the, the money for the 2,000 pounds was long gone. <laughs> long gone. That had been disappeared. And uh, I was in Texas, and I was on the plane back, and I'm like, that's it. Three weeks from now, church is gone. Like, there's no money. I'm not sending out letters begging other churches. This is your problem, God. I kind of, I think I said something like, screw you. Because I was so upset, like, I've lost an amazing home that we were, we were renting, didn't own it, but it was amazing. Screw you, God, screw you. Like, this is your problem. I'm not dealing with this stress anymore. This is yours. You deal with it. And then I'm sitting in this airport, and then it comes through, and Marv set up a standing order. And then the church was able to exist. And then different times where it went up, it went down, and different times where different things happened. 
And then every time the money would just come. And one time we had post here. We didn't even have our address registered here. And there was post and Jesus House across London sent a thousand pounds without me asking for anything. It just arrived like that, like that. And then different people at different times came like, oh, I'd like to give them my service. I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that. We had, we had Leke flipping, like he was at another church here every couple of weeks, like coming down and doing that. Someone of his standard and quality just being here with us, just like that. I'd, I'd just been chatting with one of the pastors there about the church. I was talking to them about African Child Trust and they fully backed that. But I didn't ask them for a penny for the church. They just sat there laughing. When I told them what I was trying to do, it was just hilarious. Like you tell them like, oh yeah, we don't take an offering. <laughs> they just started cracking up. They were, how's your church going to work? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Not my problem. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay, so how are you, and where do you meet? In a bar restaurant. On Clapham Common. How are you going to pay for that? I don't know. <laughs> it's the kind of conversation which another pastor sitting there either looks at you and thinks, you should be taking that back and shot. <laughs> what I'm most excited about is this particular story that we've pretty much finished. Next week we've got a little bit more to say about it. It's simply put, City Hill is very similar to this story in the sense that what we were called to do is insane. It's ridiculous. It shouldn't work. It will work. That none of it matters. None of the outcomes matter. None of the outputs matter. None of them distract me. None of them discourage me. Sometimes I do. Bits of paper that get wet discourage me <laughs> significantly. Um, but ultimately speaking, I know when things go absolutely 110% wrong, things are going right. Because I know that Moses in Exodus 5 was ready to quit and tap out. And not just for us as a church, but for all of us as individuals, don't tap out, tap in. Tap into God's grace, tap into God's provision, tap into his goodness. Because whatever it is God calls you to do personally, he'll see it through. And it doesn't matter if it's tough and it doesn't go how you expected it to go, because that's exactly how it's meant to be. I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness towards each and every single one of us here. God, you are amazing and we just totally love you. We love the fact that when everything goes wrong, you go right and you do what's right and you provide and you are amazing. Father, I'm so excited that though this is our last Sunday night here, I'm thankful that you're going to do something special and wonderful Sunday mornings. And I'm so excited about the stuff we are going to be announcing within the next week and what you're going to be looking to do in our church here and now. Um, Father, would you be with us? Would you speak into our lives? Would you challenge us? And Father, for all of us in this room who right now feel like everything is going wrong, may we know that everything was going wrong for Moses, but there was a day when two million people were free because he listened and trusted you. May we realize that the things we are called to do may be going horribly wrong or not as we envisioned or dreamed, but that you still are who you are and what you say will still come to pass. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.